Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. When I hung out my shingle in in the fall of 2010, I thought, you know, I'll pick up a couple of gigs. It'll be kind of a nice business. We became overwhelmed and saturated almost out of the gate. And what I realized was this idea of really driving a specific industry with embedded institutional knowledge of how to run that industry is lacking in the technology sector. Hey guys, welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And one of my favorite things about being able to host the podcast is I get the pleasure of having conversations with, frankly, some really smart, interesting people. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to these discussions as much as I've enjoyed having them. Today's episode is going to be another fun one for me because not only is Juliana Sly an incredible marketer focused primarily at the public sector market, but she's a great person too. She's the CEO of a government-focused marketing firm, Government Business Results, and recently her company debuted on the Inc. 5000 Fast Growth List with an 80% increase in customers over the past three years. I think that really speaks to the value that she and her team are delivering to her clients. And I think she's going to have some great insights for us today. Juliana, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us a little bit. I know you've spent uh, your entire career marketing in the government space. Tell us about how your career has evolved and your company now, what you guys are doing um, with your current customers. Sure. So I started GBR about... 10 years ago, because I saw a distinct need in the market for a smart, tailored, and really effective public sector demand support. Uh, Prior to starting my company, I spent my career really at the crossroads of government, technology, sales, marketing, and enablement, but it was always with this lens of driving business growth. And, you know, it's it's been a pretty interesting career. Starting off as the DOD field marketing manager for SGI, you know, in Silver Spring, Maryland, I worked my way up through channel management, field sales management, and into global industry management. And in the process, ran global government sectors for Macromedia, for Adobe, and Autodesk. And in each one of these companies, I wound up building up whole industry teams from field sales to BU, industry, and product marketing. But there was always one thing that stuck out. Along the way, I realized there was a distinct lack of understanding in the ecosystem for how technology companies needed to drive business growth in the public sector. So for example, you'd have marketing and advertising firms that would focus on creating individual marketing campaigns for marketing teams to run. Uh, And when the campaign materials were delivered, they'd walk away, their job was done, right? And then PR firms, same thing, they would create individual campaigns and sales training companies who would teach you a sales methodology, but really nothing that tied into marketing and really almost nothing that was focused on the mechanics of a government cot sale and so on and so forth. And 
it became clear I couldn't find a single company that understood how to fuel how to fuel public sector business, really, which is from the whole team perspective, that integrated marketing and sales approach. And based on that, I thought that, that I'm going to create one. And so I did. And GBR in that light is a go-to-market company. So we're different than a standard marketing, advertising, or PR firm. We actually focus on helping tech companies drive strong, repeatable, and enduring business growth and we do it by focusing on the three pillars, or what we call the three pillars, of strategy, marketing, and enablement, all focused on the public sector aspects of government education and healthcare. No, it definitely it definitely fills a need. And so, so you you spoke to your long career in government marketing, mm-hmm. but one thing I'm guessing you didn't experience until this year is a global pandemic kind of shifting everything, flipping it on its head. So. How has your role as a marketer evolved in, in now that we're in a, I don't want to say a post-COVID world because we're still dealing with this pandemic, but now that we understand what the world could look like now with COVID, how has your role as a what are you doing to help companies uh, shift and adapt to meet these new standards? It's an interesting question. How has my role changed or how has our company's role changed? Um, when we think about marketing and what it means to drive demand, we really come at it from the standpoint of understanding that marketing's role is to really be this bridge between the sales team and the customer. And so in order to do that effectively, you have to understand where the customer is and where the sales rep is in their strategy and bridge the two together. And one of the things that we know to be absolutely true about COVID is it flipped everything on its head its head basically, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, you had sales teams that were executing sales strategies and marketing teams that were executing related marketing campaigns and government customers who had prioritized their purchases. And all of that went out the window when COVID hit. So from our perspective as a go-to-market company, one of the things that we do is we go back to the very beginning because it's where many of the sales reps have had to go. It's also where many of the marketing teams have to go. Um, If you think about it, the sales reps and the sales teams had to recalibrate their entire pipeline. You had agencies turning and and shifting and buying whole sets of technology that they had never intended on purchasing, at least with this fiscal year's budget, and that money had to come from somewhere. So just as the sales reps had to go back to the very beginning and requalify every single deal in their pipeline, marketing managers need to do the same thing from their marketing campaigns. And that's a lot of what we are helping marketing teams to do. So we've got industry strategists and technologists on our staff, as well as research analysts uh, and enablement artists who are working with our our, uh, clients and with sales teams to really help them understand how to make the best pivots possible. But it always comes from that lens of, of starting over and starting from the beginning. So, so you said so much there. I want to unpack. Starting with, I, I love that you started with the the relationship between sales and marketing because I think COVID hit that became an imperative. It, it always should have been, and it not it, it often isn't in an organization. But that became imperative because as we're going to market, you never needed to be more aligned. Um, so I'm glad that was certainly a priority. But another piece you mentioned wants to go through and requalify their campaigns. What what do you mean by that? Can you explain that to our audience? Because I think that's a really good point. Yeah. So when when you're a sales rep and you have a pipeline, 
right? You have qualified your pipeline according to a variety of different parameters. One of the most common you know, approaches that folks will, that sales teams will take is, is BANT, budget, authority, need, and timing, right? And so going back through and requalifying every deal, is the budget there? Are you sure the budget's there? Is the customer sure the budget's there? Is the customer's boss sure that the budget is still there, right? Does the customer still have the authority? Is the need still critical? Is the timing still present? Um, and is it still with this fiscal year funding? So going back through and requalifying according to those parameters means that for many sales teams, they actually had to throw out their deals or readjust their deals or realize the deals that they were really certain were going to land for this year aren't. And all, all because budget had to be reallocated quickly and effectively. So and, and another thing that I found interesting in what you said was actually what you didn't say. And there wasn't that huge emphasis on events. Now, obviously, that's that can be an important part of marketing strategy, but it isn't the end all be all. And just because COVID hit, that wasn't where necessarily all your attention needed to go was shifting events. I like that you focused on that requalification of, of pipeline. I know I found myself in a lot of different conversations with customers once this happened, um, either requalifying or figuring out how they can get what was already qualified, where there already was budget allocated, completed faster. Um, mm -hmm. so, some some of the, the customers I was hearing from, it went from a 12 to 18 month cycle to a four to six month cycle. It was incredible. Um, so yeah, so how were you able to help marketers when they saw that type of acceleration, um, marketing and sales folks, uh, when they saw that type of acceleration shift and adapt at that type of speed? It, it's interesting. So we're in a market that hasn't changed dramatically over the last 10 years, right? So I, I think for many marketing and sales professionals inside of the public sector, there was almost this, this moment where everyone went, hang on, what just happened here? And then there was the, then we did the things that we normally would do and anybody would naturally do. And that is we tried to go back to what we know, mm -hmm. right? The comfort so the zone. Absolutely. So we had to go back to the comfort zone. And within that, what we realized is that it, it, it's a little bit like an earthquake. We had this tectonic shift in the marketplace and then everyone wanted to go back to, okay, what are my normal boundaries and my normal parameters? And I feel like we've been in that place of that, that pause of it's gonna go back to normal in a minute. It's just, it, we, we just have to get through the aftershocks. It's gonna go back in a minute. And it's been three to four months of waiting for the dust to settle. And I think what many marketers are now realizing is the dust isn't going to settle. And I know certainly many sales reps are realizing that too. And I, I brought up something a moment ago that I kind of want to dig into, and that is we've been the same for the last 10 years. And I think that's a critical point. So if you compare us to what's happened on the commercial side, the commercial side has dramatically evolved over the last 10 years. Sales, B2B enterprise on the commercial side and B2B marketing on the commercial side, massive growth over the last 10 years, particularly in the last five years. And they've done this shift from in-person face-to-face to digital. You've got whole selling methodologies that have spun up around social selling and B2B environments, right? And so while all of this change was happening, uh, in a period of time that spun up whole new apps and, and software programs and software industries, frankly, um, on the commercial side, the public sector side has remained stubbornly and persistently face-to-face. -face. 
And I think it's important for many marketers to step back and realize that what they're looking at right now is an industry that's having wholesale, not just the sales and marketing teams, but also the customer shift and accelerate from what has been persistently a face-to-face sales environment to a wholly digital environment. And I think that's where marketers are struggling, if that makes sense. And no, it does. And and we spoke to marketers shifting to a comfort zone, but I think it goes without saying, so did our customers. They they went to an area where they're comfortable too. And he has manned that because in that shift, there's going to be some discomfort. So how yeah. can we help them in this massive disruption in this moment? How can we help them get into a posture where they can be continuously, again, to, to steal this analogy, continuously comfortable and understand that this is going to be um, the new normal? You, you mentioned that the, the dust uh, wasn't going to settle, but it, eventually it will settle. But I think what you were trying to say was it's going to settle and things aren't going to look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we can't expect it to settle and just go back to what we perceive as normal. It's it's going to settle and it's going to be different. So how is that going to change how we as marketers look at the market? And I think that's something that uh, that we're having conversations about now, right? Even you and I trying to get a better understanding of what yeah. that's going to look like. Absolutely. And let me draw a comparison here, right? So I, I, I brought up 10 years ago. So uh, this earlier this year in 2020, uh, CIO.gov put out uh, a, a, an evaluation of the federal IT workforce, and it said the same thing we've been hearing for years almost, uh, which is that 50%, fully 50% or more of the federal IT workforce is over the age of 50, and only 3% between you know, zero or between 20 and 29, right? So you've got this massively older workforce that really hasn't changed all that much. Telework was never in play. The agencies, the way that they chose products hasn't changed in over 20 years because A, it's really hard to change the FAR and, you know, B, it's hardwired into the culture and systemically everything that's going on. Compelling all of this or compounding all of this is the idea that agencies are inherently resistant to digital marketing they have been you couldn't put you can't put hyperlinks in emails it's really difficult to get agencies to you know engage in social media or and at the end of the day you had security wrapping everything that you do in a digital environment um and i think you brought up something else with which was this idea that the mql to sal conversion inherently not you know built for speed it's an 18 month process <laughs> and that conversion in a more modern b2b environment is typically around four months so when, when you think about it we've had all of these parameters in play for the last 10 months but realistic or 10 years rather but realistically what's more important is if you peel back the layers of the onion what the marketer's job was in that environment that was so heavily face-to-face dependent was to secure a meeting for the sales rep. So we would do this broad blanket of demand generation and surface suspects that we would turn into prospects where the inside sales team would begin to make calls all for the goal of setting a meeting. And a sales rep 
in their heart of hearts only looked at a sales accepted lead as a lead that they could either get on the phone or get in front of in person. And then from that point on, the sales rep would carry the sale. So when you think about the, the totality of the marketing funnel, the marketing and sales funnel uh, integrated together, the marketer was literally turning the name and the contact over to the sales rep at a much higher stage in the funnel on the government side. And the government sales rep would take that sales opportunity to close largely through face-to-face -face measures. So when COVID hit, it pretty much knocked the legs out from underneath the government sales reps because every selling motion that they had known for the last 10 and in some cases 20 years about face-to-face -face meetings and being present in front of their customer was taken away. And on the marketing side, what happened was the goalposts for what we had to do in terms of creating a qualified lead all of a sudden moved much further down the road. Now in comparison in the B2B commercial world, this is the goalposts are about at that same point that we're just now finding the government goalposts. So the comparison between B2B commercial and, and B2G government, you, you went from the marketer's job of creating awareness and interest and then handing it off to the sales rep who would then focus on consideration, intent and evaluation shifted and all of a sudden marketing is now responsible for awareness, interest, consideration, and intent. And the sales rep is meeting them at intent because the sales rep can no longer go in face-to-face. -face. And that I think is the single biggest aha for what COVID has done to government marketing is it's fundamentally moved the goalpost for the marketer as well as cut the legs out from underneath the sales rep who now has to figure out how to sell in a wholly digital environment. I think that that's a really good point. And as we, as we talk about live events, I think, like you said, that, that really pulled out those in-person. I, I like the comparison between the, the B2G versus the B2B sales funnel. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I think is important that marketers understand is with, with the government sales process, there mm -hmm. are very much rules and regulations around what can and cannot be done that the business to business world doesn't have to worry about. Absolutely. Um, so I, I, how important is it that marketers understand that, understand the FAR, understand the government sales funnel and how it differs um, and, and really understand those blocking and tackling components? Because oftentimes I think we've sat back as marketers and said, okay, well, sales understands it. So we're good. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. But I don't think that's really the way we should be. I think we need to be able to understand all the specifics around uh, the rules and regulations that go into this, because yep. that's the best way we can inform the process. We can inform the, um, or at least support sales throughout that process, in my opinion. No, I agree with you. And when I said the goalposts for marketing have moved, they've moved closer and into the sales territory, which is where they moved on the B2B commercial side, but it looks so the, the goalposts for B2G and B2B marketing are now at the same points in the funnel. However, it looks differently for B2G. And I think you brought up a really good point. This, the marketing person has to meet the sales team where they are. They have to meet the sales team where they are in the, their current account strategy, in their uh, overall uh, uh, funnel and procurement process for that individual account. And in doing so, they have to understand the mechanics of the sale because they are responsible for more of the funnel uh, today than ever before. They have to understand what that means as you get into the concepts of consideration. So what does consideration look like in a FAR environment? 
What does it mean to actually get in there and drive intent and, and, and focus around a product, understanding all of the restrictions that a government customer has around them? And so I think it's a period of great learning for government marketing teams. So in your capacity, you work with a lot of companies. So is there a point in this government funnel that you see the most hiccups? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think so. I think marketers are really struggling. I mean, all of this, it would be one thing if COVID hit and they actually had a year to plan for COVID, right? I still think it would be difficult to ask government marketing teams to take away the face-to-face and, and, to hand, and take away that handoff at the higher level of the funnel and to plan for it. But they didn't get to plan for it. They had to literally re-engineer the plane while they were flying it. And oh, by the way, you have to take it from a, you know, a 747 to an F, you know, an F-18. So it's, I think for, for where marketers are today, what I'm seeing the most struggle is in making that conversion. They really want to lean into the avenues that they, they've known. Um, the quick pivot was, gee, let's go turn to all of our, our our digital media support publications because in the digital media world uh, or in the digital world, they were always our go-to. Here's the problem though, and this is where the rub is hitting. Because digital was always the second avenue for marketers, the first avenue being face-to-face and really spending a lot of time and energy around creating those face-to-face events. Digital became that glue between the face-to-face events. Right. So in that way, it was always secondary. There were emails or webinars or, or the dot, dot, dot of content syndication between the big anchors of those face to face meetings or events or conferences. And what happened was you had marketers from 8000 companies because currently soup identifies that and you know, NASA soup identifies that there are 8000 people on the soup five contract or 8000 companies rather. So you had marketers from 8,000 companies all pivoting to the same pool of digital media outlets and it broke them. These digital media outlets were never set up to be primary. They were never set up to carry this weight. And where marketers are struggling right now is they're realizing that as they've all kind of leaned into these, this environment, um, they're not getting back what they had hoped for in terms of quality and it's feeling them, leaving them feeling a bit stranded. I was uh, I was talking on a panel the other day with um, Tim Hartman, the CEO for government executives. And, and one of the things that I did mention to him, though, is as I've been working with some of these outlets, I've been impressed by their level of at least innovation. They, yeah. They've gone above and beyond to try and meet marketers where where their challenges are that, that we've been speaking yeah. to, because it wasn't something you're right before COVID. It wasn't something that they were set up to handle, but I think they've done a good job in trying to meet those accelerations. I know um, on the NextGov platform, they actually created their own custom webinar platform just to be able to deliver content to to government. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good good example of innovation, at least happening there. Um, But you mentioned it being the glue between those Mm in-person and those digital um, touch points. Another thing I think we should think about is even though we look at COVID as losing things, we've also gained something too. We've gained more of an acceptance of digital. So the government, the government employee, the government executive, the government CIO, they're more willing to accept a digital interaction. And I uh-huh. think it's scalability, the ability, the ability for us to be able to reach more people 
um, with the time and the bandwidth that we have versus having to go to these in-person um, facets, I think. Mm-hmm. No, I, I fully agree. And, and I think I, I want to touch on the digital media pubs for a moment. Mm-hmm. I think they're critical to the industry. Yeah, and I agree. I, I agree 100%. They have, they have performed as well as anybody could have expected them to, except when you have 8,000 companies asking them to stretch. Well, the inventory just isn't there sometimes. It, yeah, it isn't. It isn't. And so I applaud the digital pubs for the innovation that they're showing. Not only that, but I also really applaud them for really being able to sit down with, you know, I, I know with many of my clients and say, here's where we're at. Here's some transparency. We need to start to think about things differently and we need to work together to figure out how to scale what we're doing. And I think that's an amazing an approach when you've got an, you know, a whole industry who's willing to sit down and kind of work hand in hand to figure out the new path. I think that's important. But I, I also think going back to this idea that scalability is critical to what we're doing, I think there's another feature that's important as well. So if, if, you, if you go back to the way that we used to drive demand, there was um, largely the, not- the notion of mass demand versus account-based marketing. And account-based marketing or something very targeted and personalized to the government customer is still in its infancy in government. We're mm-hmm. still figuring it out. The commercial side has long since figured it out. We're still kind of putting it in motion. And where I think we're, we're, we're heading towards with scaling is we're going to have to figure out as an industry, how we scale our marketing efforts while dialing in on personalization and dialing in on highly targeted content, because I think that's really going to be the the next challenge for most of the government marketers. No, I think that's a good point. So when I, when I speak to scalability too, I also am not just saying that I can touch thousands and thousands of people. I think it's more of within my day, I can have five or six really deep and important conversations with uh, someone at specific agencies. um, Whereas in the past, I might've had the ability to have one of those and then I'd have to schedule another one for another day. So no, I I absolutely agree with you. I think the ability to tailor content, tailor Mm -hmm. conversations and build relationships is becoming more and more um, critical to the government role. I couldn't agree more. Well, it, it's a balance, right? So um, it's a balance of opportunity and a balance of need. And so just beca- because we have the capability to scale what we're doing a little bit e- more easily on in, in a digital environment doesn't take away from the need to understand who your customer is. And so one of the things that we're advising our clients to do is to really think about persona-driven marketing in an account-based way and to adjust the messaging. You, you shouldn't be taking a data sheet that is going to perform one way for a CIV audience and think that it's going to perform the same way for DOD. Similarly, you have to go one click down and think that just because you've got a content piece that performs well for Navy, it's going to perform well for Army. And so that, that drives a higher emphasis on content. But I think if you're making your content snackable and well-targeted, you have the ability to actually scale your personalized efforts. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on that because in my head, I'm thinking there's probably a lot of people listening to this right now thinking, how am I going to create more content when I'm already in a content deficit and I have no time? Um, and And that's a good point. The way I look at content, at least, is you can take 
one asset, especially if it's a robust asset and you could break it down into five, six, seven different things. And then you, like you said, how do I tailor it now agency to agency to agency? Um, It might just be a matter of making a civilian version versus a defense version. Um, Mm -hmm. But it it could be deeper than that, but you can certainly adjust and you can take those larger pieces and and drill them into, like you said, more snackable options. It's well, definitely not easy. <laughs> no, no, it, it's not easy. But it goes back to the fundamental thing that I think you and I have been talking about, which is from a marketing standpoint, you have to meet the customer where they are and you have to meet your salesperson, your salesperson and particularly their strategy components where they currently exist too. And you've got to build that bridge. So your content pieces should be building the bridge. Now where content personalization becomes super hard is if you don't know the strategy that your sales team is trying to drive within a specific account, and if you don't know that account. And so I think the the pivot here for, for marketing professionals is spending time, and particularly September is a wonderful month for them to be doing this, spending time learning and absorbing and understanding where the government customer is. Because typically September, you know, is, is a little bit of the downtime on the marketing side because the sales team is so busy executing mm-hmm. what they're executing on. But what what we advocate is you will exactly like what you said, snackable content. You will have an easier time tailoring snackable content if you understand the customer and you understand where your rep is trying to go. A good example, some something I've seen before is you might have a marketing department charged with driving uh, cloud MCV or trying to get cloud or leads around their cloud um, messaging. Mm-hmm. And you could, as a marketer, go to a customer and have these conversations, but not understand that maybe they're not ready for that cloud evolution yet. Exactly. So now, now not only, not only are you, I mean, if I'm being frank, you're wasting your time, but you're wasting their time too, because they're seeing it as, wait a minute, you don't understand my business. So okay. I think you touched on something. Make sure you're make sure you're aligned with your sales team. When you yeah. do ABM, you want to make sure you understand that account to the extent that you know exactly what their strategy is as well. What does their mm-hmm. two-year, three-year, four-year evolution look like from an IT perspective or a services delivery perspective? And then align. So you're more consultative. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. And I think there is to take a leaf out of DevOps. I think there is an agile approach that needs to replace the traditional waterfall approach inside of marketing. So in, mm-hmm. inside of marketing, what you would typically do, because remember, we had a, a demographic that was largely unchanged. We had problems that you know were largely the same or evolutionary from year to year, absent a global event of some kind, right? So we th- there was a lot of status quo going on and most marketers would go, okay, so I have to develop a campaign and for a campaign, I probably need an email and a landing page and some sort of a downloadable asset. And maybe we can go ahead and do a webinar around it. And you'd start to like identify these blocks of content, absent a persona, absent a strategy, absent actual execution, because you knew you were going to reach a kind of a mass audience with it. I think you have to flip it around and you have to start from the sales strategy of where are you today with this customer and where mm-hmm. are you trying to get them to and what do you need to get there? And I think you'll find that you're not creating a thousand pieces of bespoke content. What you are doing, though, is modifying probably 
five to seven pieces of content according to where the customer currently is and where the sales rep currently is. What and the fact that it's not just a cookie cutter approach to a campaign, you can't just say, okay, we need a webinar, we need an email, we need a landing page, and then we'll deploy it. That's, that's not the approach that marketers need to take. You need to take a look at, and not even just from a mass audience, you need to understand, like you said, the personas you're trying to reach, where they are, um, and factor in, like we were talking about third parties, factor in third parties. Mm-hmm. Dry, let's say there is a webinar factor in how are you going to get them there, which could mm-hmm. also necessitate content. Usually it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and start to, and then your start strategy can start to evolve. And then in the world we're in now, you can scale it out, especially totally. if you're focused on personas, because now you know exactly who you're targeting. Um, and you know, perhaps if you're aligned with your sales team, you know the accounts in which you're targeting them in. So I would agree 100%. <laughs> and here's some great news for the marketer. The really great news is the government customer is as distracted as everybody else these days. So if your content piece takes up more than 10 minutes of their time, it's probably not going to get used by them. So we're not talking about creating multiple 45-minute webinars. We're talking about video snippets and video clips and small, when we say snackable, I I'm looking at the thing that the government customer can read inside of five minutes and can scan. Because so, that's realistically so to, all they're going to have time for. To that point, do you think the white paper is dead? Oh, great question. Um, really great question. I would have to say that the white paper in its current form is dead. I think a reimagining of a white paper as a portal to a series of interactive mm-hmm. components, that's the next generation of the white paper. Yeah, I agree. And when I was talking about a robust piece of content that you can break up, usually a white paper is where my brain goes um, Mm -hmm. because you can pull stats and create an infographic and you can break down the sections and make a small ebook that leads people into it. But I agree. I think, I think the white paper and how it's traditionally used isn't something that really to me drives a lot of value because I look at it, how I consume information. I don't sit down and read white papers, even if, I mean, for, for multiple ways, even <laughs> if I'm learning or if I'm looking to buy something for the department, I, I'm not sitting down to read a white paper. No. So why would I expect my customers to do that? But I am looking at those small pieces. And I, you said 10 minutes. I would, I would actually say that would be high. I mean, right. if, you're, if you're glancing, especially through, say, LinkedIn or um, on a news website and you see something, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they have two to three minutes on something if you capture their attention, but that's, that's probably the extent of it. But I agree. I think not only, I don't want, but rethinking how you're structuring the white paper, can you break it into small snackable sections within the white paper? And then they're glancing at different areas as opposed to having to sit down and invest time into mm-hmm. reading a long multi-page document, which probably isn't a reality. More and I, I would I would say you know from a marketer's perspective the best thing you can do is put yourself literally in the shoes of the government customer. These days they they've done a couple of studies. Number one, the human attention span has officially shrunk to below that of a goldfish. So it's less than <laughs> I'm not kidding. They've actually done studies on this. It's less than eight seconds at this point. Um, the second thing is that we are actually post COVID. And, and it's hard to say post-COVID because we're, we're still in COVID. Yeah. Um, we are working longer hours 
than ever before, right? This whole work from home, you know, treat that we're all engaged in just means that we're actually putting in between 10 and 12 hour days. So if you get a five minute break or a 10 minute break, it's unlikely you're going to go and download a white paper and read that white paper. It's more likely you're going to walk the dog, make a sandwich, or tell your kids to get back to doing their, you know, e-learning homework <laughs> that they're supposed to be doing. So I think really kind of putting yourself in those shoes and saying, okay, so how how would somebody get my attention these days? What are the types of things I need? Because at the end of the day, the other, this is also true. The government uh, customers still have to do their job. So they still have to evaluate. They still have to purchase. They still have to, to drive mission success. So snackable content that gets to the heart of the matter quickly and efficiently is of strong demand to them and high value. I'll say this. I have a couple of thoughts. One, um, I think now is a good time when you're taking a look at what your messaging is to understand what everybody globally is going through, not just your customer individually, mm -hmm. but what their family is going through, et cetera. And I saw a great ad from Uber over the weekend, and it basically showed people putting on masks and showing this, and then put names to, to faces and saying, this person protects this person, this person protects this person, this person oh, wow. protects this person. And it was a great ad. And to me, it evoked an emotion and understanding yeah. because it's that is something that everybody globally can understand. We are, we're all wearing masks. We all understand the problem. And we see people wanting to do something. Mm -hmm. And the reason that pops into my head is as I've been having these conversations with folks, whether it, it be Suzette Kent, it was uh, Paul Puckett over the U.S. Army, a very common theme, a very common pattern evolved, and it's, it's probably something you're not going to be surprised with. It's when you're coming to me, understand my challenges yeah. and and speak to those and make me feel like you understand me and you want to yeah. jump in this boat with me and solve the problems together. And that ad made me feel like that. I saw a company saying, hey, we get it. We understand what the concerns are. and We're right here with you. We're trying to solve the problem with you. And we want to protect you if you're doing business with us. And to me, it's a very similar, it's a very similar message. Even on the totally. B2B side or B2G, I'm, I want to look at a customer and I'm saying, you know what? I understand your challenges. We have solutions, but you know what? We just want to jump in the boat. Let's all row in the same direction. If there's, mm -hmm. if there's a hole, we're going to help you bucket it out. We're yep. just going to go down this, this river together. And that was a very common pattern I've seen. It's something that marketers should take heed of because we do need to accept some of that responsibility. And we do want to make sure we understand their business at the same time. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I, I have two golden rules in, in the marketing work that we do. Number one, don't talk at people. Right. And, and particularly in the government marketing, don't talk at them. You want to talk mm -hmm. with them. Yep. And that that really kind of heavily leans on the second, which is don't don't waste time telling a customer something they already know. You know, Mr. Government customer, we know that it's it's more difficult than ever these days to make sure that the network is secure. OK, that was a completely wasted sentence. Mm. <laughs> yeah. it, it, instead, hey. Your agency spent all the money you had trying to flip to virtual for COVID, and now you're tr struggling with network defense. We have solutions. Right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Get, meet them where they are and get to the point faster. Yeah, especially in DOD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Juliana, no this, is, this has been a great conversation. Um, do you have any final thoughts you want to leave our audience with today? I do. I really do. And it's it, it's a simple one. Um, we are, this is such an incredibly challenging time for marketers across the, the, the world and particularly inside of our government industry. Um, I have such enormous respect for the marketing teams and the challenges that they're undergoing. It, it's really easy to say marketers should be doing this and shouldn't be doing that. But my goodness, with everything that's happening, even if you had had a year, as I mentioned earlier, to plan for COVID, it still would have been an incredibly daunting task to, to plan for everything that you've got to plan for now. So I, I have uh, two, two final things that I'd like to leave everyone with. Uh, first, uh, be easy on yourself during this time. Uh, you all are doing yeoman's work. Uh, it is incredibly difficult and you're making changes and adaptations and pivots as fast as you, you humanly can. And for that, you know, every single government marketer deserves an award for what they're, they're going through this year. Um, the second as a way of, of keeping your sanity, and I, I know that what I'm about to say is hard, but I, I think it's, it's true for where we're at. Focus on the results and not on your metrics. I know you are gold on your metrics. I know it's how your company sees your success. And they're still important, but the world is in flux and in change. And I think you have to focus on incremental results and what you learn from these from smaller sprints of marketing and begin to put those in place because much like we don't know what's going on with COVID, we don't know where the music will stop with the change in the government industry. So we're all in this great era of trial and learning and growth. So effectively navigating that under is is really a series of pilots and a series of short sprints and focusing on what those results are going to be and in that vein working with your sales rep to understand really what what different efforts drove different results or what different pilots created a different level of response right so work with your sales rep in this period of discovery and in this period of innovation because I promise you there are so many smart marketers out there. What you bring forward will be groundbreaking. And we have an opportunity in this new era to drive a new way of marketing. And it, it, come, it starts with our fearless government marketers. Really good points. And I, I couldn't agree more with, I think this year, every government marketer out there deserves some kind of award. But I will say this, it might every day it might feel like small little uh, little steps, but mm -hmm. when, when we do finally shift and adapt and we get things moving again, I think we're all going to come out of this realizing we just learned a whole lot. Yeah. And, and I think that is going to be incredibly valuable. We can look at this incredible challenge that we're mm -hmm. all facing at the same time and, and look at it as an opportunity to really grow and strengthen our muscles and become better marketers out of this. So mm -hmm. Thank you for your time today. This, this was, this was a lot of fun to have this conversation. I agree. Thank you so much for having me. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at ShittisterAB. Thanks for joining, everybody. Bye for now.